0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Laura Gratmans. Laura is a wonderful actress, a singer-songwriter, and she was one of my guests at the Compass Live episode at the beginning of November. Sadly, the audio of her interview was messed up and I wasn't able to release it, but she was kind enough to agree to do a full interview now, So even if you were in the audience that night, we cover a lot more ground in this conversation. We did get the audio of her singing her beautiful song, New York City, at the live episode. So if you wanna go back and listen to that, uh, the episode was released on November 11th, 2016. And if you listen to the end of the episode, you'll hear that gorgeous song. We went to undergrad at the University of Evansville at different times. And I'm so glad to be getting to know her better now. I have such respect for her thoughtfulness as an artist. So, thank you, Laura, for your patience with this process. I will also have a full episode with my husband, actor Frankie J. Alvarez, coming out next week since his interview at the live episode was cut a little short in the recording as well. So, keep an eye out for that. And I hope you enjoy the 59th episode of The Compass. Let's dive in, and we'll get to talk about a lot of things along the way. Um, So, what do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist?
1: I think that I get very emotional right away, (laughs) and then I think I let it surround me, probably. I said this... In our first interview mm-hmm. um, that I think that winter is a really important time of the year for me because I um, well my first winter in New York was definitely the hardest one um, but it was the most important one because I mm-hmm. I really didn't have anywhere to hide like I didn't know what was going on with my career I didn't know how to navigate my my career Um, I was very much alone in the city, um, I had wonderful friends, but I didn't really know how to, I feel like when you move to New York, you start to, you have to learn how to ask for, like, a coffee or a drink or,
0: um, the energy is very, very different from anywhere else.
1: Yeah, and just, I mean, even from your friends, like, to that you it's a it's a muscle that you develop to travel to get on the subway and go to a friend's house and hang out with them or to sit down with your roommate and and like talk to them in a way that's not roommate talk you know mm-hmm. just A B and C and so yeah anyways the question was how do i <laughs> <laughs> and I think that I'm I'm sure a lot of people have said this have said this but I think that it is not as much for me, it, it my experience, my personal experience is not not going there, but it's walking through it, like mm. finding a way through it, and um, and engaging with it, and trying to understand it more. And my first in my first winter in the city, I wrote that song New York, New York City, and um, I wrote it when uh, my roommate was out of town for uh, I think like a month, so I was alone in my apartment and, um, the, uh, the heat in our apartment was messed up. And so it was like 95 degrees <laughs> in the middle of January or like end of January in our apartment. It was so hot and it was so loud. It, it was like the, the, the clanking. Oh, the oh. clanking, the clanking. And, um, Frankie's
0: old apartment used to do that. It's so freaky.
1: Yes. And We also had some, like, vermin problems in our apartment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, (laughs) I remember, um, this was, like, a big turning point for me was I remember being, um, in my apartment in the middle of the night, and the exterminators were coming the next day at, like, 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and then I had a full day of work the next day, and, um, I was sleeping in my living room and uh, because my, the, the uh, heater was too loud in my room, and it was so hot, and then this car alarm started going off outside. <laughs> and so I was like, well, this is, this is my life right now. That's okay, and in perspective, it's a lot better than a lot of other people's, but this is my life, and it doesn't feel super. Um, anyways, and so that's when I started writing New York City, and um, I mean it's one of it's one of my favorite pieces because I feel like it was, it was truly engaged in, in the reality, you know, and what was,
0: there. Yeah.
1: At that moment, you know.
0: Do you find that your music is a a tool that really helps you deal with some of the dark side feelings or, figure yes. them out?
1: Yeah, I think so. I I don't think that I. I'm a very good writer, unless I'm hurting. <laughs> i like unless I'm like in the middle of that fight. Mm-hmm. I think that when I've the, the the times where I've where I've landed on work that I think is the most truthful is when I'm experiencing those things or or, or in the middle of some sort of
0: challenge.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because I don't think that I, I I think I'm a person that needs to be in silence Mm. and and be um, in stillness to be able to hear, to be able to listen more clearly. And so when I really find myself um, rolling down that hill, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I think that, finding silence and finding stillness and uh, I like whether that's meditation or whether that's just kind of sitting and like lying on my floor and daydreaming that helps to put things in order a little bit more and my creative brain starts to starts to turn a little bit
0: that's great that you can allow yourself to do that because I feel like sometimes we feel like we need to be doing something
1: yeah well, I mean, I to be like productive everybody. instead of just
0: letting your mind do what yeah. it needs to do. Well,
1: somebody said to me one time, um, uh, a really, oh yes, a really good friend of mine said to me that she takes like 30 minutes a day of daydreaming time. Hmm. And she is by far the, one of the most successful um, artists that I know. You know? Mm-hmm. And she takes 30 minutes a day and she just dreams. And I think that that is really, that's really beautiful. Like, yeah, and I that's, love that. And it can be very useful. And I, 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 found that that's the time when, when you're, I almost feel like when you're trying to put things on paper, you're trying to, you're trying to work the problem, too early, then you don't allow things to come and go. You, it's like I find that I latch on to things when i'm really trying to work a problem i, I latch onto an idea and like okay how can i morph this idea and okay oh now it doesn't work like i'm okay i'm going to latch onto this idea how can i work this idea like how can i how can i like mold this into something that's good mm-hmm. <laughs> but because all of a sudden your critic comes in and you are trying to create something that's good but i feel like that's the death of
0: <laughs> so if you let it marinate more before you start yeah, putting it me, on paper
1: that's, yeah that's my own process which I have no idea what it is anyways <laughs>
0: <laughs> when did um, you um since you went to school for theater when did you start music as well
1: I start well, I played piano for like nine or ten years when I was in starting in elementary school and then I quit when I got to high school because I or a little, a little couple of years in high school because I wanted to do theater and piano mm-hmm. was getting way of my theater interests. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I, but I, I actually, I never got through a concert or a recital without forgetting my piece entirely or just stopping and wa- walking down to my seat, going to get my book or messing up and kind of having to go back and go back and go back and then I finished a piece and, that's so and interesting so I never I had a really bad fear in relation to piano and playing in front of an audience and I didn't really realize that until I because I because I I didn't really realize that until I got to graduate school because I would play by myself a lot in mm. university And through the end of high school, I would find a room alone and play by myself. But once I got to graduate school, we took this class called Actor-Generated Work. Um, And it was taught by Joan McIntosh, who is a lovely actress and director and teacher.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take a sip of my tea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And she was teaching a class that was essentially learning how to deal with the dry periods of your life as an actor
0: i think that's so amazing that they have that in the program at yale
1: yeah it was one of my favorite classes it was very powerful and um one of my classmates uh miriam hyman she is her her uh, i guess i don't know what her what that we would call that like her it's not her band name, but her musician's name is Robin Hood. She's a, hmm. um, she's an incredible musician now, and she's her work started, um, in that class as well. Wow. And so, and so I I decided that from my project for that class that I was going to try to conquer my fear of playing the piano in front of people, and I decided that I wanted to start writing, and I had a couple of. Sorry th-
0: the. The little boys who are elephants oh. just to start, <laughs> just start playing above our heads. Oh, yeah, that was Continue. So funny, yeah. <laughs> I know, oh my that god. Dance class <laughs> in the live, yeah, the oh, live yeah. episode. Um, but, this uh, is a running theme in The Compass. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if
1: you could soundproof that I, I know, so. I don't think so either.
0: Well, usually, I think it's just today since I didn't think about it being a New Year's Day kind of observed. Right. So usually if I record during the middle of the day, they're at school. But right.
1: But so anyway, so I had a couple of um, I had a couple of seeds of songs that I was um, that I was really just had from playing by myself. That every once in a while I would you know not read sheet music and start to um, and so when I was deciding what to bring in for this class. I began working on these pieces and I was actually, I was going through a breakup at the time and I was feeling some anxiety about leaving school. I went straight through from undergrad to graduate school. So it was a big transition and I knew that I was going to have to make a big transition out of school into the world. And Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to do that. And, and I've only recently, I think landed a little more firmly. Um, after five years of being in the city, you know, it takes time. And, uh, yeah, so I brought in a couple of pieces. I taught myself the ukulele and I feel like I, st- I still have the same amount of skill that I did when I started cause I have not <laughs> sure, like expanding my ukulele knowledge. Uh-huh. Um, but I taught myself the ukulele and I brought in a couple pieces on that. And then I brought in a couple pieces on the piano and that's how it started. And also, I think that my my singing voice really started to erupt uh, erupt out of me after I started writing my own music, because I feel like when I was at, at Evansville, where I went to university with you, well, mm-hmm. with you but after you, and then for my first couple of years at Yale. I was trying to sing a certain way. I was trying to sing the way that I thought I was supposed to sing. And then as soon as I began making my own music, I thought, oh, no, I sing like I sing. (laughs) And that was really liberating and very, um,
0: yeah, and, that's so exciting.
1: Yeah, it was really yeah, this really a beautiful time to to r- realize that the skills that I already had and the 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 body that I had and the the the, the voice that I had was useful because it was what I had. <laughs> or something. Yeah,
0: and to not try to make it fit into some other box. Yeah. How did how did the actual project of getting over the the fear that you had associated with music in front of people? How did that go throughout the course of the class?
1: You know, I don't really remember it being an issue in the class, but once I started being asked to perform, um, I opened for a couple of bands in New Haven, Mm -hmm. and then when I got to the city, I got asked to play at a lot of fundraisers and stuff like that. That's where it really became evident to me that I had to just keep playing through and 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 I would do something where I would would stop and go back a little bit and then play instead of stopping and continuing from the spot that I was at in the Mm -hmm. music and I think that it was really important for me to just learn how to keep going and to make a mistake and keep going.
0: Do you think it helped also when you started playing your own music? Did that feel different than like when you were playing piano growing up and those recitals would happen? And...
1: Yeah. Cause I guess there was a right and a wrong in that yeah. situation. Something yeah. that I have learned that was, is a part of my album, which is very far from anything that's even resembling perfection. Um, it is that the mistakes are a part of the, the creation. Yeah. And, and the, they're not even a mistake, they're just an element of the creation. And so I practice and practice and practice for my concerts and I practice and practice and practice for the recording of my album, but I still make mistakes and I make mistakes in the album and I make, and there are a couple of mistakes that we couldn't edit out and they just had to be there. Right.
0: But and you have know. an album, like think of I, if I, you had you know, waited and waited for it to be perfect, I have all these
1: mistakes on it. <laughs> <laughs> if
0: you had waited for it to be perfect, you never yeah. would have made no, it. True. You know. It's
1: so true. And I remember at my At my release party, I made some big mistakes, (laughs) and musically, and I had had this pep talk with myself before I went out on stage, that I was going to allow that to be a part of this night, that I was going to allow that to live. Those, I mean, I went to a birthday party a couple of. Like last year, and Stevie Wonder played.
0: Oh my goodness. It was
1: very, it was very, it was incredible. (laughs) And, um, And I was as close to him as I am to you. Oh my goodness. And he kept messing up his songs. And he kept singing... I messed up, I messed up, and I was
0: like, he messes up too, he messes up too. But he's just having a good time.
1: And, and yeah, and there's something, yeah. there's joy, and there's, and there's uh, empathy, and there's this uh, deep humanity in that, you know, that's, and it is very satisfying to see a musician, or to see an actor, or to see an artist, any sort of artist, who, who is perfect. Who, like a musician who plays something perfectly, um, but then there's something else that you gain from seeing someone who plays fully, but also has a lot of you know has <laughs> You know, maybe it's a little more. Um, but it's easier yeah, to yeah or connect with them. Yeah, yeah, with that with that sort of experience.
0: Um, can you talk a little bit about self-producing your album and kind of the things that you learned? Yeah. Um, that you weren't expecting? I learned or the... a lot. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are other people who yeah. would find that useful information.
1: Well, I learned that my... The first thing I learned was that my community is incredible. I was so profoundly humbled by the support that I received. Um, did you do... I did a Kickstarter yeah. for it. And then I also, um, I also sought uh private funding a little uh, like a smaller percentage of private funding Mm. for people that i for for so that i could have like a nice balance between the two and it was amazing i mean it was it was very it i was very nervous about it but i mean people from that i went to high school with gave to it people that i went to college with random people that i didn't I couldn't remember that who they were when they came to it. I was like, this is amazing, you know? And I think that that has to do with the fact, part of that is that when you make theater, people have to come to it to be able to enjoy it. And with the album, it was tangible. It was something that could be sent mm-hmm. and that they could get it immediately into their iTunes and um, have it to listen to it. And they could listen to it as many times as they wanted or didn't want to. Right, that know? is really cool. And so that I think that that makes a difference that it's compact and that it's tangible, you know, whereas theater is so fleeting and which is part of the beautiful thing about it. But I had done a couple of kickstarters with my theater company in years before. And so that it was, it was a completely different experience. And also because it was just me who was, who was asking, who was doing the asking. It was, um, I think it was a different experience because I, I wasn't surrounded by other people who were I mean Sally Kate Holmes who was my um, executive producer she and my other producers um, Ben Quinn and Ben Charles mm-hmm. um, they of course they like put the word out there but it was my thing that I had to do and right so, and, and so anyways um, I I was very overwhelmed by the the incredible community of support that I saw so clearly during that experience, and then, um, I realized very quickly that it was a good thing that I had a lot of people surrounding me that were a lot smarter than me, (laughs) were a lot smarter than me, yeah, they, I, to have Sally Cade, who was, um, I went to high school with, Oh really? to Evansville with, I didn't know that, yeah, to have her at the helm with me, just sort of leading the charge, we sat down. Um, she was the first person that I sat down with, and I was like, I, I had a dream, I want to make an album, <laughs> let's do it. And she.
0: It helps when you ask for help, and then you feel like, well, now I have I'm accountable to someone
1: it's who's helping so, me. You know, so helpful. And I don't think because i had people had said to me like some of my good friends were like, you should put out an album like in the years before, and I was like, nah, eh, no. It's not really something that's inside of me I don't think I have enough music I don't think the music is good enough like I would rather not deal with that right now and then it was like I woke up one morning and I was like it's time we've got to make this happen and so I met with Sally Cade and immediately she was holding me accountable and that was very helpful and then we brought in um, Ben Quinn who was the musical producer Okay. Um, ben was also an Evansville graduate. Um,
0: and he had experience already kind of he, doing that sort had, of thing?
1: Yeah, he had recorded with the Good Morning Nags. They're a wonderful band, and yeah. he is just an incredible musician. And I needed I needed somebody who would be strong with me, but also be open to me leading the charge in terms of the, the music. And he was an incredible orchestrator, uh, throughout it, he you know he would take some of my songs like "Señor Magnifico," one of the songs on the, the album. He wrote all of the uh, the choir parts. I had an idea of what I wanted, and I had tried a lot of different times to to make sense of what I wanted, and I didn't know how to do it, and so he just took it home and, and he and he like wrote the choir parts, and then we had the choir parts. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> But I mean, I learned, I learned a lot. I, learned, I I mean, I think that I, I had no idea, how complicated recording is. Um, we were given a space which was incredible. But oh my goodness! We weren't given the the um the all of the equipment that we used. So um, yeah, space was generously donated to us by a good friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, but then we had to like rent all of the equipment and transport it and bring it up there and so I mean I think that that we were able to be in the space as long as we wanted which was really awesome. Well, that's. I
0: was going to ask did you how many over how many days did you record? So
1: we recorded over a period of three days in the studio and then I spent one day recording in an apartment afterwards that with the songs that involved the loop station Mm -hmm. because we didn't need we didn't need the piano. We didn't need the sound of the space in because they were going directly into a, It was going directly into a loop station, and then that was being right. dealt with in the computer. So um, to have like the the resonance in the space was not as important mm-hmm. for those. And we also ran out of time because we were trying to do thirteen songs in <laughs> like three days. And uh, <laughs> and I remember our cellist Paul when I was originally talking to him about. The work. He was like, oh, so you, we can do like a, a song a week. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh you're funny, Paul Brantley. <laughs> 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 and uh, anyways, he rolled with it. It was amazing. Um, that was the other thing is the generosity of the musicians that came in and help, helped us. Um, we had a pianist named uh, Noriko Tsunamoto and she played on one of the songs. And then Paul Brantley played cello. Uh, ben Quinn, the musical producer, played Mandolin anyways we had a, a couple of wonderful people come in. Um, but like Paul, for example, I I saw how he worked and I was like, that's the kind of artist that I want to be because he he recognized what the project was. he saw that it was like a grass grassroots grass I'm, I'm talking so much <laughs> go to. for it go um, for it. Uh, so Paul Paul saw what the project was and he, recognized that it was a grassroots piece and that we had limited resources, limited time, but a lot of very a lot of very enthusiastic people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he also liked liked the tunes that we were playing. Yeah. And so there was one you know, he came in for one day and he just rolled with it. And there was this one moment where we didn't have the uh, vocals recorded for a couple of the songs and so he didn't know he had listened to the songs but he didn't know by heart how they moved like how they mm-hmm. we had we had rehearsed them together like he he knew all of that but he didn't without the words he didn't know how they moved forward so he said well why don't you conduct me so I stood on the ground I laid on the ground and I kneeled on the ground with the headphones on and he had his headphones on and he could see me and I could see him and we were both listening to the track on uh-huh. our headphones and I kind of moved with the music and like used my hands and my shoulders and my arms and my face <laughs> and, and that's how we recorded his pieces That's amazing. Um, and it was so beautiful I mean and he came up to me at the release party and he was like that was one of my you know, I, I really, that was a really special uh, experience for me because it was so intimate, you know. Was, yeah. And he, even though I was a, an earlier musician, um, he was so generous with me.
0: And that's a special skill to be able to kind of fit yourself into someone else's yes. vibe or someone else's especially especially project, you know?
1: You know, a lot more than they do. Right. But I think <laughs> that one of my, I think that one of the things that I did somewhat well, I got a little stubborn in certain moments. Um, but I think that I was really good about recognizing the skills of the people around me, um, which, which was kind of a beautiful thing about being an amateur musician in that position of creating this thing was that I was, I didn't feel like my ego was really getting in my way because I was learning so much so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. As an actor, I feel like I have a little more entitlement, yeah, because I've trained for it a lot, and I I feel confident in my abilities, and I I I feel more confident in my opinions, <laughs> so, right? And uh, and and how and I and I think that I expect certain things of the people around me, which I think is a good thing, mm-hmm. but also because there was a little more fluidity to my position in this album recording <laughs> and release, I was, uh, I was able to have this, uh, a very pure experience, you know?
0: Um, yeah. And really be open to learning from yeah. everyone else. And of
1: course I listen to it now and I'm just like, <laughs> in certain, <laughs> certain things, you know, in certain,
0: that you would do differently now.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many things I would do differently, but it was really, it was a really, uh, it was a really rewarding experience and continues to be a very humbling experience because it's there. It's, it is tangible and it is impact <laughs> and it's out there.
0: <laughs> so I'm like, okay, it's out there. Yeah. It is so different from theater in that, yeah. I mean, I've had that experience a tiny bit with the podcast of like, Oh, someone can be listening to it and you have no idea. Yeah. Somewhere out there. Yeah. They're listening to you and, and you, you
1: know, I've had, I don't had know people, I've had people email me.
0: Like strangers who found yeah. it. Yeah. yeah.
1: And or people that heard me play at a fundraiser or and they like looked online and like, you know, so it's it's been a it's been a an interesting ride. I still don't really know how it's gonna continue to unfold. But I I'm I'm working, you know, actually I'm not gonna talk about this on the air, okay. that's okay. That's true. You know, sure. Something that has to do with an extension of this album, but awesome. I'm not gonna talk sure yeah. <laughs> no but
0: it's it's so great that you have besides your acting that you have another outlet that you can do on yeah. your own yeah um, that you can express yourself when you're in between plays or in yeah. between acting work
1: yeah there's a part of me that wishes that I had the same amount of um abandon with my acting work hmm because I think that there are moments where I have that when I'm doing my acting work, but, but it's different because it's somebody else's words, somebody else's story. The story can only be told in relation to the other people on stage, which is part of the beautiful thing of acting. And, and then there's something beautiful about being the single storyteller with maybe other musicians, but, like, that the words are yours, and, you know, that the... Right,
0: and it's it's your experience. I'm kind of curious about how you deal with auditioning. Have you learned anything in the five years since you've been here that has kind of helped you deal with that whole system and how bizarre it is? Well... I'm asking for a friend.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've definitely started to notice... When, I, when I'm giving my power away. Mm. So that's something.
0: That's interesting.
1: I think that being, um, I think I've noticed that the more present I can be throughout the experience, the the better. An example is uh, I was auditioning for something at, um, I don't think it was Ripley Greer, but it was like one of the loud, loud, mm-hmm like Pearl Studios or something. It was like loud and lots of people and <laughs> loud. <laughs> how do you, how do you... Some um, audition for
0: a giant here. musical down the hallway.
1: And it was, I think I was auditioning for a really awesome play at the time. Um, and uh, so I was excited about it, but I was like, oh my gosh, the guy, oh, yes. Okay, so I was auditioning for, um, I was auditioning For the humans Mm. and I was so excited about the play and thought it was amazing and and I had put a lot of pressure on myself you know with that sort of a situation right and I was so angry at the people who were in this who were in this this audition space and then I was like okay I'm just going to allow these people into my Experience. I'm going to allow them into my preparation, and so I just listened, and I heard this little girl singing. Um, uh, it was a song from Sound of Music. It was my favorite. My favorite things is that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my that's Sound of Music. Yeah. So, but she was like belting it. It's like raindrops on roses. She was like singing it so loudly, and it was like with an Annie voice. And. And then I don't feel so bad. It was, like, so loud. And she kept repeating this, like, one, like, the end of the song or something. (laughs) And I was like, that girl is ridiculous and amazing. And she's just doing it. And she's going for it in there. And so I was, like, laughing uncontrollably as I was listening to this. And I brought, you know, then they called, called me in. And I came in and I, like, was just, like, still... (laughs) <laughs> um, dealing with the debris of this like girl who was singing, and they were like, "You ready to start?" And I was like, "Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm ready to start." And and I was like, "I'm sorry. Do you have you guys been listening to this?" Can you hear that? Yeah. Girl he was like yes. She's like, oh, and and so anyway, so there was this like moment of.
0: Just being people. Just being people.
1: Yeah. You know? And. um And that was it was such a satisfying thing to just be people and to see the people in the room as people yeah
0: (laughs) Um, I mean it doesn't sound like a big deal but it is those situations can be so formal and weird and you feel like you have the least power in the room or whatever it might be
1: yeah but I I Um, think that I yeah I think I I try to I mean auditions are like so so weird I think just like trying to be as prepared as possible is always a go to but that's mm-hmm. like for the for I feel like any actor is like I'm going to be as prepared as possible. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I feel like just like listening, not trying to like do anything, but just kind of like being present. Yeah. You know, the,
0: that it's this just reminds me because we're doing Drunk Vanya right now with three day hangover oh. and it's upstairs at the Russian Samovar, just this very old Russian restaurant in Midtown. And they have live music every night downstairs. <laughs> and it's like they've tried to do all the soundproofing, but there's just a constant like piano music coming from downstairs, like during the play. And sometimes <laughs> it helps that it's a checkoff play and it's kind of appropriate. Sometimes I'll just be in the stairwell about to enter and i just start laughing because the song that's playing is like it's some tragic moment in the play. And the yeah, song playing. that's playing downstairs is like a ragtime. <laughs> I'm just like this is kind of perfect, okay. <laughs> and I just I'm like awesome. laughing about it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's useful. I remember. Oh, it was Chris Bays, um when I was at Yale. He talked about rolling objects and children and animals. Mm-hmm. That if you acknowledge them and you allow them to come into the room, like. If if, if a, a ball starts to roll and none of the actors look at it, then the whole audience right. That's is, like, the only thing focused on the ball. <laughs> and but if the actors look at it and they like make a joke about it, yeah. Or they you know, or they just they acknowledge it somehow, then the audience is okay with entering back into their story because they have invited that into their story. So right. it's not like a loose cannon that's like, what's what's gonna, <laughs> what's it gonna do? You know? Yeah. But I think that that's the same with you know so so much of this like when you're when you're trying to do your work and the circumstances are out of your control, which is all auditions. Then allowing allowing the world to be a part of your your world, is
0: your experience necessary. Yeah, I like that. Can you tell me a little bit about the show you just did in Philly? Were yeah. you were you involved in like creating it, or
1: I was. was it already written or? It was, it was already written to a certain extent. Um, so the play is called Jib, or The Child Who Went Forth to Learn What Fear Was. Mm-hmm. And the music is written by Amanda Palmer and Jason Webley. I don't know if you know Amanda Palmer's music. I don't think um, so. Yeah, she, she's married to Neil Gaiman. He's a wonderful writer. And mm-hmm. so, um, so the play is uh, essentially about the interconnectivity of a lot of different random people you know as one of them is uh one of them is a musician who is whose career is building and all of these people are their their lives are kind of they're somehow interwoven um and the there's like this energy that's traveling between all of them and that is ultimately expressed in this woman's music mm-hmm. um and she's jib she's and I played Maris, who is a, um, I think she's like a music journalist who who has a daughter um, who, is, who is now like an everything journalist, but I think in like her past, she was a music journalist, and her daughter is, is in a coma in the beginning of the play, and essentially her daughter like travels with Jib throughout her career, like during her coma, she she anyway so it's like it's it's very complicated huh. storyline <laughs> but um but uh yeah we all we all play a lot of different characters and um it has there's like ghosts and there's you know like a lot of music it's a rock show we, it, we publicized it as a rock show mm-hmm. um so i played a lot of different instruments and brendan titley who you know mm-hmm. he played a lot of different, different instruments um And so it was a cast of seven people, and we were performing at the neighborhood playhouse, which is in Old City. Is it Old City or Old Town in Philadelphia? I I think it's Old City. Um, The neighborhood playhouse is this old, beautiful building that was a church, and then a basketball has like a basketball court on the second or on the third, fourth floor where we were, and we used two floors um, of the building and moved the audience down halfway through. Um, and yeah, so we're hoping that it'll come to the city. Why Philly? Uh, we had some opportunities in Philadelphia and also we didn't want to premiere the show in New York because New York is where young shows go to die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have not spent a lot of time in Philly, but I hear it's just a great theater town. Yeah,
1: it's cool. I mean, we definitely noticed that for a, a bunch of New York theater makers to come into a town that was not their town um, it was a challenge but by the end work word got out there and we started to get larger houses and um, I mean they're just lovely people in in Philly and like it's a booming has a booming art scene incredible museums and uh, just a lovely it was a lovely place to spend you know a month I was there we, were, we rehearsed in New York and then we moved to Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, the hope is that it will come to New York. I think that those wheels are already turning, and and we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would love to see it. Yeah. Was it
0: a, a lot of friends from grad school? or?
1: So it was co-produced by my theater company and by a, another
0: company. What's your theater, theater company called? My
1: theater company is called Old Sound Room. And okay. we, um, we formed about a year after I left school. Uh, out of just a bunch of Yale students, and we we started with a show called Old Soundroom Lear, where we um, interviewed octogenarian artists, and we did we we can we um, severely cut down the King Lear script, and we um, inserted some of these interviews uh, that we would like we would do the interviews of these octogenarians um, first of all telling the story of Lear. And then also we discussed um, the responsibility of the young to the old and the old to the young. That's really cool. We kind of had that mirrored in throughout our cutting of Lear. And anyways, it was a crazy, you know, like a company's first show, figuring out how to do everything. (laughs) It was crazy. You know, I was right out of school. Yeah. um, But it was really fun. And and I mean, I so cherish that time because again like that was you know to go back to your original question that I think that like sitting in the darkness of that first winter was really important for me to to find my way out to see out I think that when things start to when things start to go badly I think that it's easy to turn inward as an artist and as Mm -hmm. a person and I think that, like, really allowing myself to sit in the, in the silence of, of winter and the silence of solitude mm-hmm. and of, um, of unemployment. And, <laughs> <laughs> yep. and um, you know, it, it's, I think it's a really good thing. And it, it changed me entirely. And it helped me to see outside of myself once I kind of moved through that initials those initial stages um and I you know saw all of these artists that were hungry for the same thing that I was interested in I saw my interest in this this art form that I knew very little about but I I enjoyed and I felt a, a very pure expression through it um it helped me to see relationships that I mm-hmm. hadn't seen before, see people that I hadn't seen before, to empathize with people that I hadn't been, empathize, been able to empathize with before um, and now I, th- I find that I'm developing different skills to where like I, th- I think that there are different things that are triggers to go to the dark side um, now and I'm mm-hmm. learning how to, how to better manage those and, but I don't think that if I had avoided, have I tried to avoid it in the first place that I would have learned anything about it. Yeah. So at least it's like being defeated by greater and greater foes or something. <laughs> just, just like not engaging right. in the first place, you know.
0: So what, what is winter this year going to be like for you? Do you feel like since you, since it was a powerful time for you, that first winter in New York, is it something now that you dread or are you, do you kind of look forward to that regeneration time in the winter?
1: Yeah. Last year I really dreaded it. This year I, I'm actually kind of excited about it. I, I think that, um, you know, I'm getting married in July, so mm-hmm. this will be a, a winter of a lot of planning. Um, but I've also noticed that since I decided to get married I realized that I needed to if I you know if I'm gonna be with my partner for my life or hopefully my life (laughs) (laughs) um, that I can't depend on him for everything and so where for some reason this year I feel very strongly that I need to kind of really dive back into to understanding, like how to how to uh, engage with myself without, like depending on other people to help yeah. me do that, you know, yeah. And I think that that was very much my first winter, that I didn't I didn't have anybody else that I could really that could help me in the way that I thought felt that I needed it, mm-hmm. and so I was kind of forced into that situation, and now you know five years later, four years four years later, I'm noticing that that's something i'm yearning for. Yeah. I'm yearning for solitude. I'm yearning for space of mind to be able to understand. I mean i also think that i'm getting a little bit older so i want to be a little more deliberate with how to move forward. Yeah, i think that this winter is going to be great. I think it's going to be really hard because <laughs> it always is, but Yeah.
0: No, that's a great perspective to go into it with.
1: I hope so. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm gonna you know, take a page from your you, book. <laughs> you never know,
1: like you never know, right? Yeah, like you never know. Things things will. Life is a series of surprises, but. But I I definitely think that I have, I feel, better equipped, to deal with some of those surprises, than I did, you know. Yeah. X amount of years ago. And I think that I, I remember reading somewhere, I did not, I can't remember if I said this to you in our last interview, I love Rilke, I love Maria mm-hmm. Rilke's work, and he writes a lot about the winter. And I was reading somewhere recently, some like study was put out that talked about the importance of the winter for a tree, and how the essential microscopic changes that happen during the winter for a tree are what allow it to blossom in the spring. Right. And Rilke talks about that all the time yeah. in his poetry. Um, he, talks, he talks so beautifully and poetically about the, about the importance of leaves being stripped from the trees, of the importance of color leaving the world. Of the importance of being able to see the sky through mm-hmm. through branches that would normally you wouldn't be able to see the, the sky through before yeah um, because it gives you it, it 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 allows you the space to to change yeah. in ways that when things are like gushing forth that you, you, <laughs> you don't have the same opportunity it's not fertile ground it's not as it's a different kind of fertile ground. I honestly think that the most important changes, the most important work is done, in the driest and coldest periods of time, which is also, that's the, I mean that's why I called my album "Hug the Lonely Cactus" because it has yeah. to do with growing something fruitful in a seemingly dry and barren landscape. Yeah. And, um, and that in turn, you know one thing one like living thing can become a home or reservoir or shade or water for for the living things around it Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden when you're able to like invest in that landscape then you can become a source for other living things you know I
0: like that how is it for you and since your fiance Ben is an artist as well? How is it for you guys kind of figuring out that that relationship when you're both artists?
1: Um, it's it's complicated, but it's doable. I think that we both worry about money,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we both we would both we both wish that we had a situation that was maybe a little more forgiving. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, I mean, we get creative, you know? I feel like that's the thing that I have, again, that I've started to really think about as we've prepared to actually, like, you know, we've started to plan for the long haul. Um, and I think we started that early because we knew we wanted to be together, but mm-hmm. now it's it's a little more um, tangible. I think that we're going to have to make some sacrifices, honestly. <laughs>
0: It's scary, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know any other way to... I don't think that there's a sugar-coated version. I think that it's... I think we're both going to have to sacrifice. Yeah. um, Our artistic lives, part of our, like, you know, portions of our artistic Mm. lives. And also vice-versa, like, time with each other for artistic lives, and, Mm -hmm. um... Have you guys
0: done a ton of long distance?
1: We've done some long distance. We did... We did a couple of months when I was in Dallas, and then we did a couple of months when I was in Rochester, and then he was in Salt Lake City, so we've done long distance. We haven't done, like, five months or six months of long distance. Um... My stomach keeps growling. Um... But I, I think that that will, we, I, I feel like we're pretty, we, we figured out our groove with long distance. Um, and we also go to see each other regularly when we're, as much as we can. But I really, I really think that we're, we're kind of seeing that, I think one of the reasons that we work is that for neither of us, our career is more important than our relationships. And I don't think that it's a bad thing for your art or for your profession to be more important than your relationships. But I do think that it's important to know that about yourself. (laughs) And so for us, I think our relationships take precedent. Yeah. And so the fact that we both understand that, I think will do us a lot of good. And I think we we want to, we, we both ambitious people. We really Mm -hmm. want to be artists in the world and we, I really want to be an actor, mm-hmm. a working actor in the world, um, and when I am, it's amazing, and when I'm not, it sucks. Yep. But, um, but I also think like I need to take ownership of that decision that mm-hmm. that's what I want to do, and also, I'm not going to sacrifice my, you know, I'm not going to. We're both. I think the fact that we're both artists actually helps. With the, with the long distance or with the...
0: No, you understand the, how important it is to the yes, other person.
1: Yes. And because we both understand that you have to make sacrifices for each other and for the, the work, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that works in our favor.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um, but I mean, it's hard. It's, <laughs> it's really hard.
0: But, do you um, think that you guys will stay in New York long term? How, how are you feeling about the city right now?
1: Well, our apartment rocks, yeah. but our, our, our apartment is beautiful and it's, it, it's the first real home that I think I felt in the city and that's made a huge difference. Yes. And, uh, and just having, having a sanctuary has made me feel like New York is a little more palatable and I like New York a lot. I think it's a cool city. Also, I know hundreds of amazing people that live here. Uh-huh. So that's something that I'm not going to ignore, but I think we both long for more green. And I think we're both interested in a less saturated scene mm. um, that, that, that maybe needs art a little bit more. However, we both like to be challenged by our communities. Right. And you're not going to find that in places that, are, that, that don't have yeah. a theater any sort of theater scene you're not going to find people that that challenge you so we really it's a it's a back and forth I think that for the next couple of years we're definitely going to be here and depending on how our careers go we'll, we'll see but um, I think that's the other thing that's worked for us as an artist couple is that I don't think that either of us see it as one it has to be this way or it has to be that way I think that we are recognized open to for-
0: possibilities. Yes. Yeah. That's good.
1: Yes. I think we're rec- we've recognized that things might change quickly or slowly.
0: Yeah. When you are having a a period where you're feeling like you're being drawn to the dark side, you're kind of dealing with a lot of those those issues, are there any like concrete things that you reach for again and again like
1: mm-hmm. you
0: mentioned the poetry, but are there any books yeah. that you read or music you yeah. listen to? I
1: I, I do read The Book of Hours, which Rilke wrote um, The Book of Hours. Uh, he was an atheist, but he has a, 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 an artist spirit, mm. an artist's spirituality that I think is very universal for anyone. Um, and then I also reached for Pema Chodron, mm-hmm. who wrote When Things Fall Apart and Living Beautifully with Uncertainty, I believe is what it's called. But... um. When things fall apart is incredible.
0: Yeah, I uh Do you know Nick Choksey? I don't. He he recommended that one. Oh it's to so good. Me. It's so yeah.
1: good. Yeah. And then um I read I think that like picking up any wonderful fiction, like some Marquez or some Allende or some I don't know. I'm reading Eva Luna right now, so mm. that's um, so I'm like, I like a vibrant, like yeah. really vibrant. Fish. That you
0: can really just get engulfed in.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, like a hundred years of solitude is, I is, mean, <laughs> but, um, but uh, I mean the house of spirits mm. I read last, I think last winter and music. I go to, um, folk singers, I go to Joan Baez, Bob Dylan or Joni Mitchell. Kind of classic nice <laughs> but uh, yeah
0: um and then the the last thing I wanted to ask was just if you've seen anything recently that you want to recommend I know you've been out of town but of any art um, form
1: my friend Adina is going to be in the play Indecent by Paula Vogel that's coming to Broadway in Ooh. um in a couple of months I guess And it's a really powerful play, so I would recommend that one. And come see Jib if it comes. For sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Go see Uncle Vanya. Your Uncle Vanya. Yeah, thank you. I need to go see
0: that one. Yeah, please come. We need we need friendly faces. I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs)
1: Um, Oh, and I also I listened to. When I go to the dark side, I very much listen to the podcast on being.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, I love
1: that yeah. one. And I listen to them all the time. Yeah. The podcast.
0: I need to put that one back in my rotation.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Laura, thank you so much. And thank you for being open to doing this again yeah, in course, addition like to that's... the live episode. And, and I know that there were things that we talked about in the live episode that we didn't talk about today. but So that's just special for the people who were yeah. there.
1: <laughs> I feel like I was less articulate this time around because I was more
0: relaxed. <laughs> no, this is good. It was a nice, calm, calm chat. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Compass podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brendan Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.